Hello, everyone, and welcome to HR Works, the podcast for HR professionals. We really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to join us. I am the host of HR Works, Jim Davis, and the editor of the HR Daily Advisor. This podcast aims to put valuable tools and knowledge into the hands and ears of you, the HR professional. Those tools will arm you with the best methods and strategies for attracting, motivating, and retaining top talent. Today, we're going to discuss the new remote workforce. Most of us that remain employed do so from our homes. This has created a host of new problems, including people having to set up their home offices that didn't have the technology or space to do so. Uh, People are working alongside their children, pets and spouses, and uh, and more seriously, risk factors for mental health and other issues are through the roof. That includes isolation, increased drug and alcohol use, and anxiety, to name just a few. It's been a long time now that experts have been calling for the move to remote. We've seen trends in cruising. uh, We've seen trends moving towards a a large scale remote workforce, but we have finally been pushed there, whether we really were ready or not. Um, Today, we have two experts with us to discuss this topic. The first is Andrew Meadows, SVP of HR, Brand and Culture at Ubiquity Retirement and Savings. He has worked for two decades in the retirement and savings space and is a fierce advocate for the small business. Having worked and transformed every area of ubiquity, including client experience, partnerships, and more, Andrew has now devised a new structure of consistent quality and brand promise, moving on to extend that promise internally through the company's culture. We also have with us today Matt Fairhurst, the co-founder and CEO of Schedulo, a mobile workforce a mobile workforce management service. Matt is driven by the possibilities technology creates for the ever-growing mobile workforce. Thank you, Andrew and Matt, for joining us today. Thanks for having us. You're welcome. Wonderful. Let me jump right in. Um, Just going to throw it out there. How do you think organizations have handled this move towards home in the, uh, the coronavirus world that we live in now? Well, I'll speak on behalf of the the financial industry. I think it's been a real struggle. Uh, We've got a lot of interesting financial and federal red tape to work through, uh, especially involving security and and our normal business processes. Um, We've also been one of the industries that's been very reticent to have people work from home. Um, But I think now it's really been uh, forcing some of these companies who are maybe looked at as a bit archaic in their culture and it's really changing their leadership to create a culture that is more supportive. Uh, HR professionals, uh, we have had to work hard to create new policies or updates to policies to accommodate. Uh, and it's really, really important for us to start making these changes. But I know uh, for, for folks who are typically required to come into the office, especially due to access to databases or software or necessary functions of the financial world, it's been a real struggle. Yeah, I think, Jim, I can speak for um, this on, on two different angles. One is um, as, a, as a technology company, um, I think we're in a, a slightly more unique and uh, or, or a, a valuable position in that we were partially remote already. We had a portion of our team that were working remote and we had some remote practices. And I, I think as a tech company, you're well equipped um, uh, to uh, implement quickly and change quickly. Um, that said, I think uh, we've learned a lot uh, as a as a team and as a company over the last few months uh, about how we can do all of this better and what it means now that we're all remote. 
Um, but I, we also have the unique perspective that a lot of the, the customers and companies we work uh, with and for um, are, are very foreign to the concepts of uh, remote work structures. And it's been interesting to observe, I think, some of the ways that they're either struggling or um, have really lent in and uh, and uh, focused on what it what it takes uh, uh, to work remote. Uh, when they're not not sort of as naturally prepared as, say, a technology company like like ours. And that's really the thing. I mean, there are so many different um, spec people on a different uh, end of the spectrum of whether you had some people working from home partially, you had some roles working from home, but not others. And, you know, there's always been this counter force, at least here in the States, to the, those that argue for an entirely remote workforce, or at least some remote work uh, to improve um, the work-life balance uh, and give people the flexibility that they crave. The pushback has always been, well, we can't. We can't do our jobs remotely. And for some things, that's true. I mean, you can't pick crops from home. You can't assemble you know, parts in a factory from home. But one of the things that we're learning is that there are a lot more things you can do from home than people were willing to admit before. And what that means is that there's a lot of people at home for the first time, and there's a lot of organizations that were not comfortable with people working from home that realized if, we, if we're going to survive this, we have to do it. There's no option. Um, I'd like to hear from both of you if you have any advice for an organization that's in that position that's just now making use of remote work uh, for the first time or on a grand scale for the first time. Yeah, I'm happy to start, um, Jim. I, I think um, the, there's a few pieces of advice I would give. Um, and I think, by the way, uh, our own organization is learning through this as well. I, we were probably in this hybrid uh, remote environment. And I think this is actually forcing us to really consider how to do that better in the future uh, as well. It was probably somewhat of an afterthought. And now it's uh, definitely a forethought. Um, I'd say one of the big pieces of advice um, for any organization that's making this big transition is to realize that um, simply copying uh, both work format uh, and work practices from the office uh, to the home, um, you know, may work for a very brief period of time, but typically starts to crumble and, and, and fail in certain areas. You know, I think you have to be very deliberate in recognizing that uh, work structure and the communication and collaboration of people and uh, the way that productivity should be considered and, and work should happen is quite different uh, when it's in the home and uh, moving from perhaps a tendency for synchronous com uh, conversation and hallway conversations or uh, the structure of meetings uh, in an office. Um, you know, I, I think there's adjustments and changes that need to happen as people move to the home and uh, more asynchronous uh, communication needs to occur. Um, you know, uh, you, that's that's probably one of the biggest pieces of advice I can give is to make sure that you're not just trying to copy and paste the format of work that was once done in office uh, into the home and be really considerate. Uh, I'd say secondly as well, there's a lot of content and material from companies and leaders uh, that have done this for a long time. Some of it is uh, wonderful, and I think being able to uh, acknowledge that you know we're all learning and we're all uh, experimenting with this a little bit and uh, leaning on others that have done this for some for some time is uh, I'd say really important. 
What a great comment you're making there. We, we are a company of uh, about 80 85% of our staff has been remote for the past couple of years. Uh, we even debated about whether we're even needing an office. We certainly entertained the idea of working completely uh, remotely and not having a headquarters. But there are certain office functions that you need to have, someone even to check the mail. Uh, it seems really, really basic, but mail is an important part of the work that we have to do if someone's mailing in paper forms or uh, certain legal documents that we need, but we've been able to, to really adjust to it quite well. Uh, we have certainly found, though, some of our colleagues or peers in other areas, especially those financial companies I was mentioning earlier, are starting to ask a little bit more advice from us. Hey, you've, you've been doing this for a long time. How do, how do we do that? I would say uh, the bit of advice I would start off with is making sure that Security isn't uh, being a risk here. Where are your people working? What kind of uh, materials are they required to have? Do they have a quiet and safe space to be able to do that work? Um, reporting is always a really important part for us. We believe very strongly in the motto of freedom with accountability. And part of working from home or working remotely is we got the freedom part down, but it's the accountability portion, making sure that people are there and available um, we quickly, when we started uh, seeing that um, the majority of our employees were working remote, we created rules around working remote, uh, over-communicate, uh, be available, and get your job done. If you can do those three things, we can all successfully work together remotely, uh, and there really isn't going to be that holdup of, of process that we can still maintain that. Uh, but I would say from, from a leadership perspective, which is certainly something that we're always looking at in the HR field, is um, we have to really train our leadership to lean on empathy more, uh, more human, less tactical check-ins, leading room in a meeting at the very beginning to check in just to see that someone's in the space to be able to work right now is really, really key for us. So once we can get the personal stuff out of the way, I'm actually finding there's a lot more efficiencies in meetings that we can have once we address the personal so we can get to work. You both raise really good points. And one of the things that that I was thinking of is, you know, as we all adjust as leaders and employers uh, and HR adjusts to uh, this reality, regardless of where they are on the spectrum, they're going to they're at risk of making some pretty serious mistakes. And so, you know, we've talked about what some of the beginners mistakes might be, like trying to keep the work schedule exactly the same, um, maybe you know, uh, trying to keep holding meetings with as many people as you did before. But I think there's also a risk for companies that have had a remote workforce for a long time, thinking that it's business as usual when it's not, because there's other things that are happening now that wouldn't have been happening before. The big example that everyone's talking about, and we might as well talk about it, is kids at home. Um, and for that matter, really anyone that you're caretaking for. So that includes, you know, elderly, um, disabled people, uh, people that normally you would have a system to take care of. And now they're in your home. And there was kind of, a, I mean, different places have different beliefs, but at least everywhere I've ever been, it was anathema to have your kid show up in your video conference or even on the phone. It's like, why are you looking after your kid? You're at work. You know, um, it's kind of an unwritten rule. And has been up until now, you don't, when you're home, you're in professional mode. And, you know, that means that you're not splitting your time between your work and your other duties. But now we are, we all are. And 
that require, and I think people have been pretty good at adjusting to it, but it just, it's not the same. You have higher risks of people burning out. You have people that maybe had a little bit better division in their day before because their kids got home at five. Now their kids are there all day. So they work when their kids are asleep um, as, as well as sporadically through the day. There's just all these, all these sort of, uh, I guess you could call them structures that we had built our at home work lives upon are changing, even at those organizations where people have been doing this for a long time. And so, I, I, especially uh, Andrew, with you having 85% of your workforce at home for all that time, can you just talk a little bit more about kind of what you've foreseen as issues in the in the new work from home scenario versus what you guys have, the status quo? Absolutely, Jim. And I think it has a lot to do with balancing work and life. Uh, when our employees were home before, they were usually alone um, or their kids would come home at a certain time and they'd be able to put them in their place, get them started on homework or whatever. But now when you're home, your family is home, uh, including your spouse that's probably also trying to work a full-time job, uh, it is really challenging to kind of being pulled in, in, in a couple of different ways. One thing that we really have always liked to institute, I don't think it always gets there, we're not always successful at it, but um, the Harvard Business Review years ago came out with this article about a 50-minute meeting. Um, sometimes it's easy when we have back-to-back -back meetings to just sit there. We're not getting up, we're not moving, um, and it can cause a lot of strain on our bodies, but also mentally as well, especially when half of our attention is might maybe pulled out of the room. So 50-minute meetings, you've got at least 10 minutes on the hour that you get to get out, maybe handle things with the family, take a little bio break. Uh, that is absolutely important. We also found is um, to double down on some of the rituals that we had in place, uh, You know, whether it's a virtual break room um, or just acknowledging families. Uh, we put together a little uh, uh, break room for parents only to share tips and tricks on how they're able to, to work and balance things out. Uh, to keep it fun, um, and uh, and if at any point in time being able to have a shorter meeting because we know you're balancing two jobs as a parent and as an employee, any way that we can trim meetings down after uh, getting to the core of what we're trying to accomplish, I've certainly found a lot of folks really saying, "Hey, let's just knock this out. This doesn't have to be an hour-long meeting. Let's get let's talk about the issues, and if we can give 20 more minutes back to someone's day, uh, that really could be the difference between a, a meltdown in another room." You know. Absolutely. Matt, do you have anything to add on that regard? Yeah, I think there's a couple of points, at least from, from our perspective at Scheduler. I think it was really important when we made this transition. Um, you know, we, were, we were predominantly office-based with uh, a portion of our workforce remote in the past, but um, I think it's important in any of these moments that a company can uh, rely and depend on its core values. And uh, I think the way that you know, organizations and leadership communicate and prioritize uh, the way that they uh, think about the various stakeholders in a company. And, and it was really important to us as an organization that we made it clear that, you know, as all this was going on, the most important thing, uh, you know, was their own individual health and safety. Um, and then the, the, the safety and, and comfort and accommodation and sort of compassion of their families and sort of broader communities. And, uh, you know, then sort of customers and, and everything else, uh, every other sort of stakeholder in a company's life cycle. Um, 
you know, I'm grateful for the values that we have as a company and the fact that our team can kind of lean on them in moments of challenge and moments of difficulty. And uh, I think that's an important thing to always remember. And then definitely now where we're fully remote, overcompensate as leaders, uh, you know, as, uh, as uh, was mentioned, I think, uh, by Andrew, making sure that you're, um, you know, doubling down and really overcompensating for communication and uh, thoughtfully planning for the likely challenges that people are going to face. And, you know, uh, one of the ones that have that's, that's come up for us uh, very recently is how uh, at, here in Australia and uh, in the United States and some of our the other countries we work in, uh, a huge responsibility has been placed on parents to educate their kids from home. And whilst there's support remotely from teachers and things like that, that's a that's a heavy lift um, for parents and families and so we're exploring ways that we can try and be helpful whether that's organizing tutors on the side or uh you know help uh, surrounding them with sort of support and help but more importantly i think compassionately accommodating times and and uh the the, the productivity uh, uh deficit that may that may occur there I, I think these things are you know really important to consider and um you know, think ahead as, uh, you know, you mentioned burnout and, uh, you know, overworking. I think it's very easy for people to work longer hours or get uh, very stressed and the feeling of isolation or anxiety. I think these are really important things for leaders and certainly HR teams as well and people leaders to kind of planfully consider because um, it's it's fairly you know, inevitable, especially as you go through, you know, transition from one uh, project to another or one sprint to another, one volume of work to another, that downtime in the middle can uh, definitely introduce some uh, real burnout and isolation and anxiety that you have to overcompensate for. Absolutely. And I do want to talk a little bit more about <clears throat> about burnout. Um, there's a lot of factors going on here. One factor is that many, many organizations are struggling financially. Uh, a lot of them have laid people off, uh, put people on furlough, done pay cuts. And when they've done this, it's not like the work went away. Uh, in a lot of cases, in order to survive, the company is going to have to work harder than ever in a certain sense. They're going to require people to be more innovative than ever. What they're really asking their employees is to be 110%. And on the other side of that, you have employees, like we said, at home with their kids. You have people worried for their lives and the lives of their family members. You have people unable to get all the things that they need. Um, you know, uh, they're cooking every meal, maybe, or they're they, you know, trying to teach their kid. There's there's a a lot of pressure building up, and one of the things that in the past when we've looked at at say, for example, a company downsizing, is that there's a trap built in there, which is that employers will see a, maintain, a maintenance of productivity despite reducing their workforce, say, by 20%. That at first will make it seem like this is a sustainable situation. And what's happening is, is those people, humans, have the ability to step up for some time. And the amount of time is variable for each individual, but it's usually a couple of months, maybe half a year at most, that someone can 
work at 110% before inevitably they just can't anymore. And I call it a cliff. There is, we're almost there now. We're at about what, five weeks, six weeks. We're starting to approach the point where people that uh, have been holding their companies together with extra work while balancing all the stress, new stresses of this world are going to start crumbling. And this is a, a very serious and unfortunately, when you look at it from an employer perspective, it's not the top of the list. When you're triaging, you know, what you have to take care of first, it's you got to secure your finances is number one, or else there is no company. No one has a job. You have to make sure that you have all the resources and everybody else has all the resources they need. You need to make sure the work's getting done. You need to make sure that your products are shipping, that your employees are, you know, doing customer service. It's, you know, just by the very nature of it being kind of a softer topic, employee burnout is lower on the totem. It's one of those things that when you're in the face of a crisis, a fresh crisis, you can afford to wait a little while, but you can't afford to wait forever. Have either of you started experiencing this? Uh, I know you might not want to talk about your employees in that way. Are you ready for this? I can, I can uh, I, oops, sorry, I can answer that one uh, first, Andrew, <laughs> if you like. Um, um, I don't, you know, I think, uh, it's naive and, and probably not uh, not great to, to assume that you're always completely ready for the challenges that you're going to face. I think especially in times like this, um, the unexpected is is something I think everyone probably should assume. Um, I also think that you know establishing remote work practices and then um, finding new ways to drive productivity, whether that's after a, a downturn or through remote work, I think one has to be realistic and, and um, that requires constant check-in and a, a, a bi-directional conversation between leadership and teams. Do they have everything that they need and are they well-equipped? How are they going? Uh, and fairly open and honest and vulnerable conversations that allow you to either reset goals and manage goals and objectives uh, appropriately um, to kind of recognize what everybody's going through um, but I think also a really uh, very deliberate motion to constantly improve. Um, I think just like working in an office, um, I think working remotely and especially through times like this, things aren't static. Uh, and, and sort of implementing a process and then assuming status quo, um, you know, is, is probably the worst way to prepare for, uh, you know, what you're referring to as a, as a cliff, I think. Uh, recognizing that constant iteration and improvement um, around process and conversation communication is necessary. And that's, you know, I think just part of how uh, organizations and leadership and teams can prepare for, um, you know, perhaps an inevitable uh, dip in uh, morale or uh, feelings of isolation, feelings of anxiety, and, and some of the challenges you outlined. I think then you have to be really deliberate about um, what you don't do, and and uh, you know making sure that you're not creating or maintaining a, a, a judgmental culture where productivity is uh, absolutely number one, and um, you know not accommodating for some of the sort of home work life challenges that you mentioned before. Perhaps looking for new ways of engaging uh, one another and moving from sort of synchronous meetings all the time to uh, you know, 
asynchronous ways of working so that people can manage their own time and productivity uh, themselves. And I think importantly, you know, putting in place uh, members of your team and, and certainly members of human resource or, or people team that can be uh, prepared and do prepare for mental health challenges and uh, knowing what signals to look for in people and teams so that when those kind of uh, hero efforts uh, do inevitably come to a, a cliff, um, you know, you can recognize, uh, you know, tired employees or, or uh, challenges with mental health, anxiety, strain, uh, whatever it might be. And I think that requires a very open, bi-directional uh, culture and a culture of conversation. Um, so th that would be, I think, my my uh, my comment on, on how to perhaps prepare for uh, burnout and uh, isolation. Uh, you had such a good point earlier, Matt, about leaning on your corporate values, that that's certainly what we've been doing. Um, sometimes there are experiences in your organization where there's a large monetary spend. This is a moment where there is a large cultural, empathetic, and leadership spend. Um, our COO actually has gone through the entire employee directory. I think she's on her second pass now of just reaching out individually, not as HR, uh, but as a parent who is at home now with her family as well, checking in with employees, seeing how folks are doing. Um, I think it's very easy from the HR perspective to say, oh, okay, well, you know, the, the, the government has prepared us for this cliff with the FFCRA or the CARES Act, uh, where we want to make sure people have, you know, in, in that Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that you have your basic needs uh, met. Uh, including finances, if that's uh, if that's something that is it's really troubling you, um, we explained very early on in this to our leadership team that performance is going to dip. We're accepting that. We're understanding that. We can't accept the saying this isn't like an experiment where well they've always worked from home, so they're going to do well. There's a new variable into the mix. So how do we how do we address it? Um, in some cases, we've even tried to include families in certain um, extra events uh, at our company. Uh, like um, there's museum tours uh, where you might have um, this virtual museum tour where a group gets to go on there together. We try to limit that because obviously more than a couple of kids and it can get a little crazy. Um, I don't know if you've heard of this goat to meeting uh, where you can actually invite a goat or a llama to your Zoom <laughs> meeting. It's, it sounds funny, but it's that kind of release that means a lot to people. Oh my gosh, I can get 20 minutes of relief by having my child sit in front of the work computer I can actually go get something to eat or take care of myself while they're doing that. Um, some of the other sort of stress releases we've created, um, instead of happy hours, we do yappy meowers uh, for dogs and cats or people with animals. <laughs> animals are just notoriously great for therapy um, and really adding a little bit of joy. But we've also been really promoting our PTO. We've been promoting our flexible schedules. Um, you know, these benefits are made for you to recharge. We've got these things at our company called U Days, um, U for ubiquity, but also U for YOU. You, if you're not coming at 100% today, how about just don't come in? We'll handle it for a day without you. If we can't handle a day without you being there, there's bigger problems, right? Um, so in really addressing those types of things, we've been thinking about expanding our wellness benefit to allow for maybe even um, materials for parents to, to help with their kids. Uh, and just some other ways that we can not spend a ton of money, but what little money we can spend, put it toward the resources that are most important to us. 
Yeah, they sound they sound like really great great ideas, and and those are the kinds of things that people need to hear just to sort of brainstorm. You know, how do we take care of our employees while they're home? And I do want to, in a, after this, I want to start talking about security um, because it's important and it's yet another thing that can be easily overlooked. Um, but, you know, we keep talking about company culture and there's, we're in this interesting place where company culture is it exists whether you mean for it to or not. Um, the only difference is whether you have a handle on it. And part of how it's created is by the way that you introduce employees into the office, into their work environments, to their teams. And now we have this interesting thing where not everybody is in a hiring freeze. Some people are hiring and they're hiring people remotely. So, which has always been a challenge, but you could at least like bring a person out to the office once and say like, here's what your boss looks like and here's what their environment is before that person goes and works remote. But now you have the entire process, you know, the interviews, the onboarding uh, happening online. And it's a real challenge, I think, to, to translate your existing culture into something that can survive this move to online. I'd be curious about, um, we can start with you, Matt, uh, ideas about, I guess, first, really taking stock of what your company culture is um, and what it's going to be like now, and then transmitting that to both your current employees, but also uh, newer employees and upcoming candidates. Um, yeah, that's a, a good question. Um, you know, I think when we think about culture at Scheduler, at least, um, and I think about it with our team, it, it can't just be about the office or a physical space or, you know, a working environment. I think that's a small part of how you reinforce culture visually and aesthetically and the environments that you create for people to work in. Uh, you know, and, and I think you have to think about that as uh, people transition or start in a company remotely. You know, how do you equip them? How do you set them up? How do they feel welcome? Uh, into a company that they can't actually uh, look at directly and, and tangibly uh, walk around and, and meet people? How do you accommodate, um, you know, the process of onboarding and welcoming people and, and helping them understand the culture that you've created uh, remotely? It's, it's a really important uh, consideration, I think. But, you know, when we think about culture and values, it has to be more than just the environment that you created. And I think, finding ways and uh, using tools using process and and over indexing on communication particularly when remote so that people can always anchor around um, the mission and the vision and the values uh, of of a, a company uh, know that they have what they need uh, to get their job done um, feel supported and encouraged and celebrated and recognized and uh you know uh, empathy and compassion and you know whatever it is that you have created as a core set of values in your organization um, ensuring that whilst remote people can uh, grasp metabolize and then understand and ultimately become an advocate um, you know for those values and that culture as well I think that's a really important part um, to uh, reinforcing culture uh, whether it's in an office or you know remote um, again I think the um, 
you know, even even for companies that have done remote for a long time, um, the, the assumption that things are static and don't need constant improvement is, I think, a real uh, naivety. And certainly as leaders, but as teams broadly, this process of kind of unlearning uh, what you knew uh, that served you well in a chapter and a life of the organization or a life of how you worked in the past and then relearning new ways uh, is critically important and you know is actually a constant process in an organization and being able to anchor them around a core set of values you know a mission and a vision and and uh, the support of uh, your, your team and your employees as they go through that motion is really important um, I think to follow on you know earlier you know even just finding new ways of reinforcing you know the culture uh, that doesn't necessarily relate to work but relates to sort of um, informal conversation and and the the joy of working together is really important um, you know finding creative ways to move from you know what was a happy hour in the office to you know a happy hour online or a cooking demonstration or a, a you know trivia uh, session online things like that I think are ways that people can adapt and kind of unlearn and relearn new ways of implementing and reinforcing their culture that uh, can really help new people uh, joining a, a company understand quickly uh, what it means to work for one organization or another. Well said. Andrew, do you have anything to add to that? Well, we actually hired our first person and went through our first, very first online, completely virtual orientation <laughs> just a few weeks ago. Um, and, you know, we've been remote for so long. Uh, largely for most of employees, the interview process is done remotely. Uh, we really want to get an idea of how it is it going to be like to interact with you on a regular basis. Can you convey all the important things we need from you over this virtual medium? On the flip side of that, it is imperative they come in uh, to meet us face-to-face -face as a human-to-human -human, you know, uh, interaction. Come to San Francisco. We'll show you around the office. We'll get you onboarded. You'll meet everyone, even when they come in for an in-person orientation, because so many of our employees are remote. A lot of it is them sitting in a room with one of our people and culture uh, folks while they're going through these kinds of um, the, these onboardings or these orientations. But, you know, the truth is, is your heart is there as an organization or it isn't. And that'll come through no matter where you're sitting um, because of the words you use, the mission you use, leaning on those values being taken care of, exercising transparency, which is a big value of ours, uh, is super crucial at those moments. Letting them know, hey, you can ask anything because we'll tell you anything. Well, what do you want to know to make you feel comfortable, whether it's choosing us as an employer um, or going through that orientation experience? It's been uh, a really interesting one, uh, but I will say we did a good job on this completely remote orientation. He's completely remote. I bet he's two weeks, three weeks in now and thriving uh, doing really, really well, but really understanding that um, being a part of our company is larger than performance, uh, that there is a human nature to it. Um, and ultimately, we want to make sure at any point in time of the process, every employee has a voice, uh, everyone needing to feel heard, uh, everyone needing to uh, expect that as things are going to change, tell us what it is that you need. If you're a parent that's struggling, let us know. Maybe you're single and you haven't actually had a person-to-person -person interaction in a month and a half, mm -hmm. uh, which is actually just as uh, as as tough. If you ask the, the single person or the the one with a family, what's harder? I think it's just as tough. We're all experiencing something, 
Uh, we're all experiencing a new normal and defining what that is, giving you the things that you need so you can perform. Uh, that's the most important for us. And, uh, and it all comes from that open communication, open transparency. Um, I think employees really need to make sure, uh, or employers need to make sure their employees have a place for their voice to be heard. Those are both great answers. Um, I have one last question. I'm just going to change gears a little bit, but you know, we've kind of been dancing around the issue, which is uh, security. So um, imagine, for example, a financial institution, your servers are either on site or they're securely accessible on site only. You have, you have uh, stratification of data. You know, these people get access to this stuff. These people get access to that stuff. And, you know, you have a lot of control when that's in your building. And even under those circumstances or, or in your network of buildings or you've got IT people working on it, you know where the entrances and the exits are when, and that's hard enough to begin with. You hear these data breaches all the time, uh, ransomware, we got people's, you know, servers being held hostage. And these are companies that one should know better and two sometimes did know better and still it didn't matter. And now you have everybody at home. You have your, you know, your banking person that needs to access a secure server from their Wi-Fi at home. It's, uh, and that's just one industry. And there are a lot of concerns that are shared across a lot of a lot of different industries. And there's no way that IT was able to get up to speed on time. I mean, you're talking about, we talked about triage a little bit earlier. There's no way that they were getting secure, you know, um, systems in place before everybody was working at home, you know? So what does that look like for, for you guys? Have How have you approached it? As a financial uh, company, you know, I think that's one of the things that has taken us years to address. Um, my heart goes out to all of those folks who are working in those sectors or for companies who, who manage this. But um, one of the things that we took a look at as we took a step back as the definitions around who is an essential worker was coming out, essential workers aren't just the healthcare professionals or maybe even food delivery for that matter but they're also the people who have to go in and make sure that the switches are all going for your financial health and make sure that you have all the access to the things that you need. Um, I know organizations really were doing a good job of trying to trim it down to just people who had necessary functions in the office and they've handled that. I don't think there's a really quick answer for a lot of these financial institutions. I think largely the idea of working from home and working remotely uh, has to be a decision twofold, not only how do we take care of our clients first and foremost, but how do we make sure that our employees are still following the policies and the rules that we set forth? It's got to come down from leadership on both sides. How are we recognizing those areas that we need to focus on? How are we not putting our employees in danger while they're doing these essential or necessary functions for us? Um, I'd, I'd say, you know, bring your partners in close to talk to those folks who, who have been doing it well, but uh, the good news is, is that because people are staying at home, you're on your network, unless there's, uh, you know, a, a hacker driving by, maybe getting into your access, actually, you might be even more safer that you're not commuting to and from the mm. office with your computer. Uh, there are actually areas where you're much safer being a worker from home than even coming into the office. 
that being said, we also have to make sure as employers and infrastructure gurus that, um, that you can still access the necessary elements that you need to do your job. It's taken us a long time to really find best in breed cloud-based providers while also making sure that every time we add a new provider, uh, do they have a SOC 1 or a SOC 2? Um, what are their approaches around security? Making sure that all of our vendors have that information and that they've submitted to our people uh, and making sure that, uh, you know, you, you kind of hear about Zoom, right? Zoom took off and then all of a sudden these people were popping up on meetings uh, because of some of those security issues. Um, making sure that you have encryption, multi-factor authentication for your systems. And while I think those of us in the tech space are a little bit more attuned to this because much of our data is cloud-based, especially on behalf of our clients. Um, but, but the truth is, I think we've got to really help those bigger institutions or those institutions who aren't used to this, help them get there because they're probably managing goods and services that we're using, even if we're not working for those companies. So really, really helping each other out. Uh, this is a, a time where um, it's been really great to see community come together, especially within industry. Uh, and I'm really seeing a lot of best practices being shared amongst financial institutions to reduce the worry of having those essential workers come in, uh, put their lives in danger while also maintaining the security that is of the utmost importance for our product and our clients. Yeah, I would, I would echo what Andrew uh, is saying there. I think when you're, uh, you know, I think technology companies and, and obviously financial uh, industry organizations are in a, in a somewhat fortunate position in that these are challenges we've had to consider and think about for a long time, even before any kind of shift to remote work. Um, that, that said, I think there were some very tactical things that our security team had to go through um, uh, you know, as we moved entirely remote, um, even things just like uh, you know, load balancing and, and uh, the accessibility to secure VPNs and things like that. Can we could we handle the new load where we're going sort of from 15% remote to now 100% remote, for example? There were some very tactical things we had to do very quickly. Um, you know, Scheduler is an organization that works uh, primarily with the enterprise, a lot of health uh, organizations and large uh, uh, social and community service organizations, government. Um, so security is always something that we uh, pay an incredible amount of attention to, which I think positioned uh, us at least uh, for a reasonably um, uh, seamless transition. Um, and certainly like uh, Andrew, my, my heart goes out to organizations perhaps that, that don't have that luxury and uh, are moving very quickly. Um, but I think there is help that you can get, uh, you know, quite quickly, particularly now. Uh, and, you know, not to not to give them a shout out, but one of my friends is the, the founder and CEO of Bug Crowd. They're a, a crowdsource uh, uh, security uh, company that uh, you know think about these set of problems every day, and for those kind of companies that are on the front line, uh, emergency services, healthcare, things like that, they're doing you know for the next ninety day, days free vulnerability uh, and attack surface uh, analysis programs and things like that. So I think that organizations that don't have the luxury of having thought about these challenges for a long time in the past, I think can access. Uh, very quickly, at least advice on how to respond and, you know, where their vulnerabilities are um, uh, as they transition to remote, but perhaps even as they go back to, uh, you know, maybe, maybe a new normal uh, in the future. Fantastic. Uh, well, that's about all the time we have uh, for today, but thank you again, Andrew and Matt, for taking the time to join us. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Great, uh, great being on the call. Thanks very much. 
Absolutely. Uh, listeners, we are always interested in suggestions you might have for what HR work should cover next. Feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at HR Works Podcast uh, or with any thoughts or concerns you have about the podcast in general. Thank you for listening. This is Jim Davis with HR Works.